Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Tuesday, January 8th, 2018. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta, and on today's podcast, I'm going to take you to the set of Marvel Studios' latest film, Captain Marvel, and we're going to play some of the interviews that I, along with other journalists, conducted on set. Uh, those interviews include Samuel L. Jackson, who reprises his role as Nick Fury, Ben Mendelsohn, who plays a scroll in the new film, executive producer Jonathan Schwartz, and, but let's start things off with uh, Samuel Jackson, uh, who, I'm not sure if you guys know this, but uh, he, I've interviewed Sam a bunch of different times, and he kind of get gets some joy from his uh, no fucks giving attitude. Uh, as you'll see here, he really uh, likes to challenge uh, reporters with dismissive responses. I think he gets kind of a kick out of it, and it's kind of fun. My favorite part of this interview is one of the journalists on set, I think it was Perry from Collider, asked Sam if he could talk a little bit about what it feel, what it means to him to play a big supporting role in the first female-led Marvel superhero film. And Sam, you'll see, gives this kind of uh, dismissive response. And You'll see this is kind of the game that Sam plays because uh, Perry kind of, you know, goes to bat and challenges him. And I think we actually get the best answer out of that confrontation. I I, I love talking to Sam Jackson, and uh, I think you'll enjoy this interview. You don't have to do this shit again. <laughs> when it's time for the movie to come no, out, I better not guys. see none of these motherfuckers. You want to trace them. Hi. Hey. Hey. Sorry to see your disintegration. It's good. It's good to see you back in, back in action here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Is that it? You have some dots and stuff on your face. You got an injury of some kind. Can you talk about that? Yeah. I'm trying to join the Wakanda tribe, and this is what, <laughs> this is my initiation rite. How's it going? I don't know. I'm pretty cool. I am. I haven't been spanked yet by anybody yet, but the hazing is pretty pretty tough. Okay. It's okay. 
When you first played Nick Fury, uh, did you ever think you'd get to explore his backstory like you are in this one? And what is that like for you? No. <laughs> <laughs> have you enjoyed it? <laughs> have, you huh? enjoy, have you got enjoyed getting to explore the character's origins a little bit more? Yeah. Yeah, we always do. We always you know, look forward to figuring out stuff that you know people don't know or might not understand, or the, I guess, the evolution of Nick Fury from desk jockey to you know director of Shield. Yeah, it's kind of fun. From what we've just learned about the character in this film, it sounds like he's kind of in a, just he doesn't know his place in the world. Like the Cold War is over, haven't reached the... Totally uh, knows his place in the world. Oh, he does, okay. Uh, yeah. Oh, I mean, what's his, his place job in the world? Right now, his place in the world is to find out where the next enemy is coming from. <laughs> and like most sane human beings with a job like that, you figure the next enemy is some other country or somewhere else. And all of a sudden he discovers something that we speculate about and now we know it's well he knows it's true that there are other beings in the universe not just us and the next problem will be convincing everybody else that's true what what is the aspect of nick this nick that's the most different from he's younger the, the one that we've seen <laughs> <laughs> the age, yeah, about or? 30 years young and not as jaded about the world yet he hadn't he hadn't grown into his cynicism quite yet how would you describe uh, Fury's relationship with Carol? Um, like most people, you know, you meet somebody, you theoretically um, surmise that they're from <laughs> outer space. Uh, and I guess like most of us, the first thing you think about is the difference. And she looks like us, yes, but she also showed up with these things that can shape shift um, so is she what she appears to be um, is she a safe individual is she a dangerous individual um, all those things come to mind um, spending time with her he discovers things about her that you know lead him to believe that you know she is something other than what she has presented herself to be or even knows herself to be so um, during the course of interacting with her, they do become compatriots. They have a, a shared sense of humor. Um, he's open to the difference in what she may be and what she may not be. And he's definitely willing to help her explore what she needs to find out, to find out who she is and what and how she came to be. And speaking of relationships, you know... Uh, the alpha person? <laughs> Go ahead. Anyways, my my, my apologies. Yeah, go ahead. Wanna... No, go ahead. I... No, please. Okay. <laughs> I was just going to ask what was, I think, what's the most uh, enjoyable part of playing Nick at this stage in his life as opposed to when we've, we've always seen him? So Payday. what was the thing you found most enjoyable about discovering him? Payday. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> um, most enjoyable thing about him, I guess, like I said, he's he's not burdened by the weight of the world the way he is, and he hadn't uh, come to resent the powers that be in terms of how they view the world and how they view what he does. 
and the seriousness of the situation. Um, they're totally unaware of it right now. So um, his next challenge is convincing them that you know we do need to enlist people who have extraordinary gifts that can help us defend not just the country, but you know the world. Um, when you were first cast as Nick Fury, it was like a groundbreaking moment, and there was some controversy with certain people, you know, being mad about Nick Fury being changed to an African American. Who are you talking about? <laughs> well, I mean, people were, you know, there was definitely some like people were upset because they were used to the old school Nick Fury, but now it's like ten years on, and you pretty much own the role for all time. <laughs> <laughs> So you had more chances than they did. <laughs> That's one thing. Um, I don't know. Um, when I went, when I was in, I was in Golden Apple one day, and I saw the Ultimates cover, and I, you know, I realized it was my image. <laughs> so I called my manager immediately. Was like, who did I get permission to use my image for a comic book? Or did you guys do it and didn't tell me? Were you trying to surprise me? There? What are you talking about? And they made a call, and to the Marvel people at that time and they said well like it says inside the comic book the character Nick the characters are talking to one of the characters goes so if they make a movie about us who would you want to play you Nick Fury says Samuel L. Jackson and I'm like yes and, <laughs> and Mark Miller being Mark Miller uh, you know did that and he did the same thing Kingsman yeah. so we have a pretty good relationship these days <laughs> um, so, you take a job and you hope you can inhabit a character in a specific way that that creates excitement for people who are sitting there watching it and that there's something about that character that's memorable that they can take away or you know if it's a real fan something they want to emulate or that you have actually done something that makes that character more real uh, and more enjoyable and you do want to see more of him so, you know, you hold back little pieces of what's going on in terms of especially his thought process and where he's going and, and what he's trying to accomplish in terms of making sure that he is the patriot that he says he is uh, and that we know him to be and that he has a greater sense of the world's safety and humanity in terms of all people are equal and as important, and every culture needs to be defended, not just ours. Um, and I think, you know, I tried to find a way to make him that citizen of the world and not just the United States. And I think it resonates with a lot of people. The character of Nick Fury has, has proven to be a, a fan favorite of the MCU. To watch you over Yeah, they time. missed me a little bit. In the <laughs> <laughs> I've been in like the last six movies. <laughs> Sent me on a road trip and then let me come home. <laughs> So what do you owe that popularity? What do I owe that popularity? I mean, a lot of other movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, you sort of earn a reputation for being able to embody specific characters in specific ways. Um, and I do a lot of movies that are kind of gun movies or action movies because I loved them when I was growing up. And to have an opportunity to do them now is like perfect for me. So. I tend to sometimes just choose movies because they're movies I would have gone to see when I was a kid or when I was young. 
there's really no other reason to do snakes on a plane. Um, <laughs> but it was fun. And I try and have fun. I mean, work, work, work for me. I mean, acting's always been fun. And I think because I was a stutterer and was, you know, halfway shy when I was a kid, being able to be on stage when I first discovered it through my aunt, who was a performing arts teacher in Chattanooga. Um, she always was in charge of pageants and plays because she was a performing arts major at North Carolina A&T. And she never had enough boys. And I lived in the house with her. So whenever she did something, I had to do it. And the discovery of that and, you know, people pinching you on the cheek, go, oh, my God, you're so good. I'm so wonderful. Made you go, wow, okay. That's something I can do. And I feel very good about myself when I do it. So I started at a very young age. I got away from it for a while, but I still performed because I was in a marching band, a very good marching band, and a concert band. Um, and then when I got back to college, I rediscovered theater. Um, when I was in high school, they wouldn't let me do all the plays. They said, you got to let somebody else do it. So, <laughs> nobody else is volunteering. I'm here. <laughs> but um, they go out and recruit people anyway. So it's part and parcel of that. Um, the adulation, the, the joy of me being there, it's a really wonderful way to make believe. I was an only child, so I spent a lot of time reading and being in my own head and exploring worlds the way I wanted to explore them or exploring stories the way I wanted to explore them. And my grandfather told me stories, and he would make me tell him stories. So we shared made-up stories on the porch at night, and we did that. So, and listened to a lot of radio drama. So I learned to use my voice and inflection, and whispering, you know, vocaliz vocalizations, you know, come to me easily now because I listen to people like Andy Griffith in the Shadow and Sergeant Preston and Yukon. You know, it's just crazy radio stuff. I miss Andy. Uh, so coming to work for me is a real joy. You know, I don't care about the five o'clock call. I get up at five o'clock. When I'm not working, I get up at 5 o'clock anyway so I can go to the golf course so I won't get out of the habit of getting up at 5 o'clock. So I continue to do that. Um, and it's a joyous place for me to be, to come and forget about who I am, what's going on in my house, what's going on in the world. I can't listen to the news every day. So to come here and to go into a world that has its own rules and to create a character that doesn't, doesn't know anything about any of that, is a wonderful escape for me and you know helps me helps keep me sane <laughs> can you talk a little bit about what it means to you to be such a big supporting role in the first female-led uh marvel superhero movie no <laughs> does that mean something i, w I would certainly say let me think about that i hadn't thought of it that way i thought i was a star as well um <laughs> I have a daughter and I have a wife who feels undervalued um, because she is a black woman. She is in this business and she's been in this business longer than I have. She was a professional actor when she was a kid and doing all this stuff. And she's a specific body type and a specific skin tone, which is not the preferred skin tone of this business, basically. I mean, Viola Davis is the 
biggest dark skin star and um, being able to uplift women in a very specific way. I grew up in a house full of women um, who always you know, made me feel special uh, and made me toe a specific line. Uh, I understand a lot about who they are and what they felt just because I heard it and I had to experience it every day. Um, how hard the world is for women specifically and I guess as I got older because my world was specifically black and white when I grew up because I grew up in segregation so I didn't talk to white women because I didn't know any uh, so I only talked to black women so I knew what their worldview was and what it meant uh, and it wasn't until I got older that I realized that, you know, white women might be as <laughs> beat down as we were in a specific way. Um, and to work with Bree, who has a very political, aware sense of self, uh, who's not afraid to use her platform to um, push female agendas, uh, has been a real joy. This is my third movie with her. I did Kong with her, so we went all over the world, and then I did her movie, Unicorn Store. And to be a part of this specific story, where she has such an enormous responsibility, uh, especially in the success of the Marvel Universe and what it means every time there's a Marvel film. Um, and to look at what happened last year with Wonder Woman, you know, DC, almost figured it out with that movie. <laughs> um, to know what's going to happen when this movie does actually hit theaters for women and little girls is going to be amazing. Um, just because of who she is and what her understanding of her responsibility to not the male audience, but the female audience that's coming to this film. Um, to be able to be alongside her, support her, uh, and to give her what she needs to be um, this strong character questing for self-identity, number one. And once she realizes what her power is and how she wields it, um, it's been a real honor for me. Because you know, I want Bree to succeed uh, in a very real and very strong way. Um, and... To have the opportunity to come into this particular place where they actually know how to do this, they figured it out. There's a Marvel playbook that works. You know, I mean, as out of the box as people think Black Panther was, it's part of Marvel playbook. It just happens to have black people in it. Uh, and this is a Marvel movie being made through the Marvel playbook, and it just happens to be a strong female character in it. And it will hopefully incite people the way Black Panther incited us racially when we saw it. You know, so I'm really proud to be part of it. What it time for one last yeah. question. What, what has been your impression of what uh, Brie has done with the role in terms of like the physical demands that it's entailed? This is you know new territory for her. Physical demands. Woo. Um, <laughs> let me see. What was it? I think about a year ago, Brie started working out. And the girl that I did Kong and Unicorn Store with is not 
this person. She's got she's like five percent body fat now. <laughs> and she used to send me workout videos, <laughs> which were like crazy dope workout videos. But she was the first one she sent me, she was lifting what was she lifting? Like hundred pounds. She was doing this thing with a waist lift, about a hundred pounds. The last one she sent me was three fifty. <laughs> and Whoa. you know, she does chin ups <laughs> and <laughs> She sent me a video of her pushing a Jeep up a hill. <laughs> you know, um, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing stuff. So um, she's, uh, she, she's made a distinct transformation that, you know, I don't think a lot of people would be willing to do. And it's a huge commitment to do stuff like that. Uh, when I was doing uh, Tarzan with Alexander, um, well, he come to work at like four in the morning and go work out and then he would eat and then he would do his cardio and then we would start to shoot and every time they said cut somebody was putting a weight in his hand when he was doing curls and he was doing push-ups you know Bree, Bree sort of like that you know at this point in her development that she can actually do all that stuff I mean it's kind of kind of crazy no, that's to cheat. Go. Go. Keep going. Keep going. Go. See, that's her pushing the Jeep up the hill. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Right there. Let's go. Let's go. Wow. Go, 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 go. Keep going. Keep going. Foot. One foot. Right there. Good. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Nuts. That's crazy. Don't stop. Holy crap. Killing it. Go, 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 go. Yeah, right? Wow. I had to find a better one. Thank you for sharing that. Was she trying to encourage you to like push it? Yeah. No, I have an age limit. <laughs> I'm done with all that. I go to Pilates. I only, I only, I only push my body weight. <laughs> I don't mess with any, any other, any other weights. None. I'm impressed with what she did. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing texture. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Thank, Thank you so much. much. All right, guys. Enjoy your stay here today. Good luck with the rest of it. Thank you. Don't lose an eye. Marvel is notoriously secretive about their projects, and the cast and crew are very tight-lipped about their any film in production. And uh, before visiting the Marvel site, you actually get this S.H.I.E.L.D.-style Marvel security experience where they make you sign a bunch of NDAs and they take your photo and they document that all. And despite uh, being a journalist, agreeing to an embargo and signing these NDAs, uh, no one on set uh, knows what they can and cannot say. Or they're very, uh, you know, hesitant to reveal anything. And sometimes... 
as I talked about in the past on this podcast, that can be frustrating when you're trying to interviewing so, interview someone about a project and they can't say anything about it. Uh, other times, it turns hilarious. And uh, as for the case of our talk with Ben Mendelson, who plays a scroll, he showed up in full scroll makeup, uh, and he he plays a scroll in the film. The the main antagonist, as far as we can tell. And uh, the interview was hilarious. Maybe not a lot of information dealt out here, but I think you will enjoy this interview with Ben Mendelsohn. So, so you look completely what is unrecognizable. This process. Wow. It takes a couple of hours. It's it's not um it's not too uh, it's it's not too exorbitant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a few hours. Okay, so can you tell us, yeah, what's your character's name? What's their role in the movie? Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm Talos. I'm the kind of battle commander of the Skrulls. Now, I'm going to take it. Most of you know who Skrulls are. We yeah. kind of rule this shit. You know? <laughs> uh, most of the rest of the, you know, the Marvel comic universe are punks, um, <laughs> basically. And, uh, you know, I mean... I guess to uh, to quote Snoop Dogg, we are the shiznit, and um, uh, you know we 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 stand above most. I mean, look, we could be anyone, right? You know, like, and we're stronger than the rest of them. You know, I mean, basically that's it. Yeah, we're maligned, we're misunderstood, but you know, we we're scrolls, we're scrolls. Any other questions? <laughs> that does bring a, a good question. Like, what are the scrolls out for? Like, what is the... What are they out for? Yeah. What is their raison d'etre? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, you know, like most, you know, like most people, they just want to, you know, they just want a place, you know, to call their own and, you know, like, you know, just be able to chill, <laughs> you know, like, uh, but, you know, these other types getting in the way all the time, messing with us, you know. <laughs> Were there any specific comic runs you read to uh, sort of understand more about the scrolls? Um, without wanting to get too, uh, you know, meta with the whole sort of Marvel publicity thing, they do have a really good app, so you can you can cop on to any of them. No, I started at the start because I wanted to see us when we were scummy little amphibious kind of like, you know, tadpole scum and see how we rose and became reimagined until this point where I could stand at the zenith of scroll creation. (laughs) But, you know, like, yeah. Yeah, you know, we have a peek at this and we have a peek at that, but I can't sh- tell you about that without showing you my petticoat. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I don't want to show you the petticoat. But why? <laughs> I'm still shy. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, I get that. Has, so, has your character been deeply embedded and, like, in disguise for quite a while? Or Um... Mm, he's had... Look, he's quite active, so he has to switch in and out of, of, of some various uh, stuff. So, you know, I, I'm going to assume we're going to see Talos, um, you know, do his thing. And look, the thing about scrolls and changing shapes, and I can say this with some authority, right? While physiologically <laughs> any scroll can change shape, you know, it takes practice and, uh, dare I say it, talent. To, uh, to do it well. And, um, you know, he's like a uh, battle commander because uh, he does it well. 
Have you seen the visuals of the actual transition? Like, do you know exactly the process? I've, uh, uh, no, I've participated in the transition, but I haven't seen what they'll end up doing with it. I, I think it'll be pretty funky, but, you know, um, but no, I, I'm not uh, privy to that. I just have to stand on the... Um, <laughs> How does the character change when you go from human form to a full scroll? Well, I think picking up on that point, I don't quite know yet how that will manifest. I know, We've tried a no, couple... I, I, mean, I mean, like, personality-wise. How is, how, is, how is he... Oh, is he well, you know, look, see, the thing about him is uh, we know basically who you are for the last X amount of time, right? So, you know, you want to think it's a pretty good carbon copy of what's going on with ha-ha human, you know, I got you behind this. So it's kind of like, you know, you might think of it like a chameleon kind of uh, trapdoor spider or one of those spiders that just hangs there looking useless. But, you know, doesn't look like a spider. You know what I mean? But knows that you're coming. You're coming. Yeah. <laughs> Come closer. You're coming closer. I'm very gentle. I'm very meek. Mm. That kind of vibe. <laughs> Does he have a, a specific relationship with Carol? Uh, well, they're in the same movie. How do you feel about Thanos uh, stealing your chin? Yeah, look, I was very, uh, you know, I was very upset with that. Basically, I consider Thanos to be a punk. I mean, clearly, you know, clearly he's looked at us scrolls and he's been like, you know what, I want to look more like that. Like that whole chin thing? Yeah, he totally bit my style with the chin, you know. I mean, he's gone for the blue hues and all that, but he ain't fooling no one, like, like you said, you know. I mean, that is clearly, he's, he's scrolling. He's, you know, there's no other word for it. I think I better go while it's good, right? <laughs> you know, before I start hitting duds out here. Can you talk, Please. About, talk about the war with the Cree? Well, they're punks. I, I don't know what to say. I mean, the Cree are filth, um, and that's just all there is to it. I mean, you know what? I, 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 I mean, I don't know what to say. Cree, you know. You Please. You know, I mean, look, we, we're going to... Yeah, there's, there's going to be some problems. But what, what can I say? They're Cree. Do you see an end to the Cree scroll walk? It's been going on for such a long time. Can you foresee an end? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, well, if they step off, you know, <laughs> then, then that's good. Then it's done. But they don't seem to want to step off. <laughs> and so we'd be scrolling. <laughs> you know? Please tell me you said that in the movie. I can tell you that uh, we, uh, you know, we'd be trying. <laughs> you had the opportunity to work with Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck previously on Mississippi Indeed. Grind. I imagine this has been a completely different experience. I mean, is there any DNA shared? Um, well, not so much between n not so much between the projects, but but I think with us there is a continuing kind of a DNA. Um, uh, you know, there's a there's a relationship that we formed on that film, which which kind of carries on. Um, you know, in, in the nucleus in a lot the same way. Although, you know, what what we're trying to do here is is quite a bit 
different and um, you know a lot more scrolling than uh, <laughs> than gambling. Um, yeah, but no, there is there is a yeah. There, there, we we got we got we got our thing going. Yeah. Is it nice just having that experience, given everything physically? Given oh yeah, things? yeah. Look, I mean, I think you know, for me, it was uh, it was a very easy. Uh, yes, I would have worked with Anna and Ryan. Uh, on any number of propositions, but, um, you know, scrolling. <laughs> it, it's kind of... I mean, it's awesome, and it's very, very different. Um, uh, it's very different, you know, what, what, what we're trying to do is very different, and um, uh, it feels good out there, you know? It feels good out there. What can you say about how your character crosses paths with Carol? And uh, Not a why lot. Does, why does he set his sights <laughs> on her? You can't say all that, or well, I, I can't tell you a lot without you know sure, sure. without yeah. uh, like you know without giving the game away. But it's fair to say that Carol's pretty good. You know, like I mean, like I, let, let me put it another way: Captain Marvel is pretty good. You know, Carol. You know, it's sort of like. The life of Pablo, you know, the life of Carol. Like, which one? Which one is she going to be? Is she going to be Carol Danvers or is she going to be Captain Marvel? Now, if she's Carol Danvers, then, yeah, uh, you know, she got some stuff that, that can be... I mean, you know, we're good at getting inside of people. That's, that's you know, that's my big clue. That's my big goof. Oh, look, now I'm going to get involved. No, 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 sorry, there you go. I changed everything around, but so this has to be the last question, huh? Yeah, see? See? You got the scoop. You got the scoop. Uh-huh. Right there. Boom. She called Last question. Yeah, you got, you got one more. What's your level of action, like physical action like? Oh, it's intense. Like, yeah, yes. Yeah. You know, a lot of, lot of punching, a lot of kicking, <laughs> scrolling. <It's very> <laughs> <laughs> I'm out. So that was Ben Mendelsohn dropping the mic, if you will. And uh, next up, we have our final interview. This is an interview with Captain Marvel executive producer Jonathan Schwartz. Uh, You probably don't know Jonathan Schwartz. And walking on the set of Mar- Captain Marvel, uh, any Marvel movie, you might not even notice him. He's the the smart guy in the corner wearing glasses. Uh, but he's really one of the modern architects of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, you might know that uh, producer Kevin Feige started out as an assistant to X-Men producer Lauren Schuler Donner. And Schwartz began his career in a similar way as an assistant to Feige on Iron Man 2. He quickly proved himself valuable and he moved his way up the ladder. He became a producer, an associate producer on Guardians of the Galaxy, an executive producer on the sequel. And Captain Marvel is his baby. Um, this uh, You can tell that this guy is the smartest guy in the room. He has inherited Feige's playful tease. And um, in this interview, Schwartz talked for almost 50 minutes. So uh, if you want any information about Captain Marvel or the future of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, this is a must-listen, and I hope you enjoy it. There's a little bit of art behind you, which sort of helps walk through the movie a little bit. You may have heard a little bit about how Um, and the movie starts with uh, the Captain Marvel character kind of already in outer space, already having superpowers, 
and already uh, kind of fighting on the side of the Cree in the Cree scroll war against those Cree scrolls. Um, and so you sort of get a little glimpse of her, her squad there, Star Force, which is led by the Jude character. Um, very quickly along this journey, they get dispatched on a mission to an alien planet to, to fight the scrolls. And over the course of that mission, uh, uh character gets captured by the scrolls. Um, and it's kind of over the course of that adventure, she finds herself on Earth, crashes the roof of Blockbuster Video, because it's the ladies. Um, and that kind of puts her in contact with a, with a younger, two-eyed version of Asian Fury, and the two of them together uh, kind of have to stop the scroll plot on Earth, and at the same time, get to the root of, of uh, uh, Carol's past. Um, so that's more or less the bones of the movie. I'm sure you guys have lots of questions and stuff. Um, what's most useful for you now? I suppose the first, first big question yeah. is when we first saw the, the costume that it was black and green, not yes. the usual blue, gold, and, and red. So, what's that about? Uh, I don't think it's a spoiler to tell you the blue, gold, and red costume is going to be in the movie. Um, the green costume is, is kind of more of the Kree colors, the Kree Star Force colors. You can see a little of there. Um, over the course of the movie, that, that costume will have a little bit of a, of a second evolution. And there's a, a plot reason or personal reason to her to, to why it changes? There definitely will be. Okay. <laughs> uh, so what can we expect as far as kind of what's going to be set in space versus Earth? Uh, in terms of Earth versus space? Yeah. Uh, it's kind of a ratio. It's, it's more or less 50-50. The movie starts in space, gets to Earth relatively quickly, um, and then goes back to space for kind of some of the third act. Okay. So it's kind of space, space Earth, space. There is a big... Earth plot that ends up tying into a lot of our, our more cosmic goings on. Um, as far as the scenes where she's at the Air Force Base, is that before she gets into space? Yes. So that's kind of Carol's past as an Air Force pilot, um, which takes place before she starts fighting for the Kree and before she gets in outer space. But that's Act Two of the movie, roughly. Yeah, I mean, it comes after the space stuff. Um, you know, one of the one of the challenges with kind of subverting that origin structure is you've still got to find a way to let the audience understand who that character is um, and there's some creative ways over the course of this movie where we're able to get that part of Carol's story across. Is it linear? Uh, it is and it isn't. I don't want to get into that too much because there's, there's a few cool surprises along the way um, but yes and no. Sorry. <laughs> Obviously setting it in the 90s uh, answers the question like you know where has she been the whole time? Uh, when did that decision get made, and how did the decision get made of when to bring to set this movie before Iron Man One? Um, if I'm being really honest, I don't know exactly when. Very early in the development process, I think we kind of seized on the idea of setting in the '90s as a way to kind of let the character carve out her own space in the cinematic universe and give her a lot of thematic weight and significance to the universe. Um, it's more or less this adventure that's going to inspire a lot of what we see in the MCU and kind of being able to see those things in this movie that blossom in other movies and already have blossomed in other movies is one of the big excitements. Um, and then also just the idea of the 90s as a period, which is something I don't think we've been able to explore a lot of. It's far enough in the rearview mirror that everyone's like, oh yeah, the 90s. I have, a, I have memories of that era. Um, but, I, but I haven't seen represented a lot on film, so being able to play in that sandbox is exciting and do things like recreate a blockbuster, uh, which was super fun to walk through and made me miss physical media in a way I didn't expect. <laughs> um, at the end of Infinity War, Fury, of course, uses the, the pager, the beeper, and we see her symbol. But, uh, of course, while it's big, got a big reaction of, like, who is that? And very, a lot of excitement for Captain Marvel. It raised a couple questions of, like, well, why didn't he use the beeper for literally anything, like, for Ultron or the Battle of New York? 
Um, and, and also, look, you know, where has she been and why, why this incident would he use the beeper? Or will those questions be addressed in Captain Marvel itself? Will we, like, understand the thinking there? Or is that something in Avengers 4 or later? Uh, I think it's a combination of things. I think we'll, we will understand over the course of these movies why Fury makes the decisions that he does. Um, he's always a mysterious guy and he always has his own reasons. Um, but hopefully we can clarify some of that for the audience. Is there anything in the comic book source material that was sort of essential to the blueprint that you guys were making for the movie? Yeah. Um, you know, there's a run of comics by Kelly Sue DeConnick that really gets to the core of the character um, in a way that we thought really made us want to translate it to the screen. Uh, she really understood Carol and really made her modern and vibrant and cool um, in a way that, that some, she wasn't always written as. Uh, sorry, that wasn't the greatest quote of all time. Um, and a lot of great artists working with Kelly at that time. Dexter Stoy is great. Jimmy McKelvey was amazing. Um, and it just sort of represented a vision of the character that we felt would translate to screen really easily. And Kelly's actually been working with us on the movie and has been very helpful and uh, uh, consulting with us um, and shot a cameo the other day, which hopefully you guys can all pick out. Um, but she kind of had a vision for Carol that leaned into her Air Force roots in a really cool way. Um, and lean into the power of the character and the inspirational nature kind of at the core of Carol that, that we thought was super cool. Is there a specific run or, not, or like issues we should look at? Um, everything Kelly Sue did was great. There, some of that's based on Earth, some of that's based in space. It's all amazing. I'd say it's much more useful as reference for the character than for plot specifics, which isn't uncommon in these movies. A lot of it, a lot of, t- sometimes we go and say, we're going to make a movie about civil war, even though that's a little bit of an adaptation of that storyline as well. Sometimes it's this group of characters called the Guardians of the Galaxy seems cool. Let's put them on their adventure. And sometimes it's this is what's cool about this character. There's this issue, this issue, this issue, this issue, this issue. And that all kind of becomes the grist for the mill of filmmaking. How much of you're talking about Nick Fury's um, motivation, so we're going to see a little more of that. How, what's the percentage of this is maybe a Nick Fury origin story? There's a Nick Fury origin story in there. Um, The movie's definitely called Captain Marvel. It it becomes a two-hander for for parts of it. Um, So we sort of wanted to give the audience that kind of young Nick Fury uh, origin story, as you put it. Um, And and it's all there, uh, but hopefully in a way that that complements Carol's adventure, too. Um, Can you talk a little bit about what her specific powers are as as compared to what she has? Yes. By, by the end of this movie, we'll have seen the full run of powers out of Carol. Um, so that's flight and strength and uh, photon blasts. Um, uh, you know, I think part of what made us excited about the character was that she was such a powerful character in the comic books and one of the most, if not the most, powerful character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and seeing all that brought to bear is one of the big pleasures of the movie. Marvel, on that note, I saw that I know footage you just showed us she had something on her head is that for what we see like the binary part of carol yes for sure okay. um and also one of the things we really loved from the comics was that mohawk look um yeah. that, that pops up in that run a little oh, bit not even the mohawk i was talking about she had like it looked like little dots on her oh yeah she had a little tracking markers yeah, yeah there will yeah. be some some visual effects there yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> marvel loves to base their stories in uh, different genres. What genre is this other than a period film? It feels weird calling it a genre, but the genre is 90s action movie. Like, if you think about movies like Robocop or Total Recall or Terminator 2 or Independence Day, uh, I think there are common action movie threads that you can tease through those movies, which are what we're trying to pick up on in this movie. You, you mentioned Blockbuster. Are there any other, like, 90s nostalgia movies like that that we can look forward to seeing? 
Uh, I'm hoping we can find some 90s music to pepper in. This is the 90s nail shirt. Yeah, the Nine Inch Nails shirt was a cool one. I don't know if you guys saw the Rock the Vote posters, but they're up there. Um, part of the fun of the movie is finding those little touches that we can uh, uh, tickle the nostalgia bone with. Will it have more of a soundtrack than a score? or I think it's going to be a mix of both. I don't think it's going to be a, an awesome mix CD uh, number one, but I think it will be fun to try to find those moments where the 90s music kind I'm of sets off. I'm going to put my vote in for Janet Jackson. <laughs> yeah, if anybody has requests. <laughs> this, this page just says spin doctors all the way down. You spoke about Ben kind of plays the, the face of the scrolls, the leader of the scrolls, and that's, that's Talos. Um, over the course of the movie, he'll shapeshift a little bit, so we'll get to see him in human form, as you saw in that sizzle. Um, I think it's, it's sort of fun to show off both the scrolls' powers and Ben's range as an actor because he's very different in all of those parts. Um, it's been super fun to watch. How you spell his name? Uh, T-A-L-O-S T-A-L-O-S When we hear scrolls we hear we, you know, from the comics we think secret invasion mm -hmm. has that been on your minds or discussed at all? Because I feel like after seeing this movie everyone's going to be like they're gonna, every character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe is like okay who's a scroll? That's cool right? <laughs> <laughs> um, yes we talked about secret invasion I wouldn't go into this movie saying which one of these superheroes is a scroll because it's kind of Carol more or less is the first superhero to show up on Earth. Um, but are, are we planting seeds for future movies? Always. Do you play with the paranoia? Uh, yes. <laughs> are, you, are you approaching um, Jude's character? Because obviously that character has a huge legacy in the comics. And mm -hmm. How are you finding striking a balance and you know, making him cool but not overwhelming the Captain Marvel that you're telling a story about? Um, I, you know, I think Ryan and Anna and, and the writers we work with have really interesting takes on Jude's character. Um, you know, it's a, it's a, Jude does play a, a, a mentor-type character, and I think it's a challenge, like you said, to make sure that the mentee part of that equation shines. Um, but I think we've found a way into the character and kind of into their relationship that's really interesting and that people aren't going to expect. Can we talk about Star Force? Uh, which members we... Uh, yeah. Um, uh, there's... Uh, a character named Bronchar is played by Rune Tempte, um, who's amazing. Uh, Atlas, Captain Atlas, um, played by Alhena Soto. Um, you may recognize it from Anna and Ryan's movie Sugar, which was amazing, um, which I highly recommend. And Gemma Chan is playing uh, Minerva. Minerva. Yeah. Uh, she's called Dr. Minerva in the comics. Mm -hmm. um, she's. I'm just, I was trying to remember. I just knew the, I just knew the name. Uh, they're all super cool. They sort of form this like outer space SEAL Team Six, um, and there's a lot of amazing action with, with all of them together um, in, kind of, in kind of the early going of the movie. Will we see Korath. stuff like? Oh, oh yeah, and Korath. I'm so sorry. Um, and 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 Jaiman Hansu's character Korath, who he's reprising Guardians One. And it's kind of, and, and and Ronan, of course, we'll see as part of that Kree action uh, early in the movie. Uh, um, will we see things like Sword from the Marvel comics, like the space version of Shield? And some of the other like cosmic things. Uh, I don't think we have sword in this movie, and this movie kind of takes place before, before Earth is aware of, of aliens or superheroes or any of that. So it would be pre, yeah. you know, pre Avengers, pre Sword, pre Iron Man, pre all of that. Is that if I'm sorry, what's the second part of your question? Um, as far as like other cosmic elements, where we see, you know, besides the Kree and the Scrolls, it's really focused on the Kree Scroll War. There, there are little elements there of other stuff, and sort of blink, it, blink and you miss it moments. Mm -hmm. um, but the Kree and the Skrull uh, conflict is kind of the heart of the movie. Why, why is Earth part of this Kree-Skrull war? Uh, I think that's a, 
You're going to have to watch the movie and find out. <laughs> Sorry, man. Well, just knowing that the Kree Scroll War is something that goes back centuries, I mean, how do you kind of, del- how does the movie delve into that history and how much of it do we see and like, put forward in exposition? Uh, you'll see as much as is necessary to get, to get Captain Marvel moving on her story. Gotcha. Um, you know, it, it, it's a conflict that's dealt with in a very real way. Um, hopefully, without overloading the audience with exposition, which we never want to do. Um, but I think the thrust of the movie is to get our characters into the action as quickly as they can and, and get that story moving. So is it kind um, of like a background conflict that the story happens to be taking place during? Or? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, been, it's, it's a, an age-old conflict that our story picks up uh, uh, during. Uh, yeah. So speaking of the Kree Scroll War, in the, the comic itself, it has like political elements that are tying into like sort of paranoia of investigating people and stuff. Uh, but with your superhero lens, will that be also in the movie? Um, if you're talking about kind of the the Kratic anti superhero act stuff um, from the comics, not really. There is a paranoia element that's a little bit different from from what's in that specific storyline, but it's not kind of related to. Uh, to the anti-superhero who could be a scroll uh, comic stuff. And I'd say the what I'd say about the Kree Scroll War overall is it's much more of a of a kind of backdrop and mythological underpinning for the movie than it than it is a direct lift of that plot line like Civil War was. In terms of using Coulson, who has a lot of like future history with the Kree from TV, did that was that a challenge to figure out how all of that worked, or are you just kind of Focusing on Coulson as he is. The now. the great part about it is we just get to focus on him as he is, so we don't need to worry about the stuff he's going to encounter later. Um, there's there's lots of fun parallels, I'm sure, uh, but we get to see Coulson in his first meeting with Nick Fury at a as a much younger age, where he doesn't where where the Kree aren't even a part of his vocabulary yet. In the footage, uh, Nick Fury says he's he was ready to hang it up uh, until he meets uh, Carol. Sort of what. What can you say about that? Is that part of, is that explored in the movie? Yeah, we're, we're meeting Nick Fury at a very interesting time in his life. It's, it's kind of the mid-90s, the Cold War is over, the War on Terror hasn't begun yet. It's a little bit of a slow period for uh, worldwide espionage. And I think Fury's kind of wondering what his place in the world is in, in, a, in a world where he feels maybe a little obsolete. And then aliens come down from outer space. <laughs> <laughs> They always are. Um, <laughs> uh, I, you know. I wouldn't go into this movie expecting a bit of Hydra plot. I think the scrolls kind of get to be their own thing. Um, but if you if you remember your Marvel history, they're definitely there. Um, I see over there on the board, like, will we see the supreme intelligence in that version like that? For sure. Part of the fun of the Kree world is establishing the supreme intelligence. Um, I, I don't think you can. I don't think you can do do hollow without it. That's hilarious. Uh, so for the comics, looking back at Carol, she's had a very long, convoluted, and at times problematic history. Um, she's also had multiple personas. She's you know been Miss Marvel, Binary, Warbird, uh, Captain Marvel, um, and then also one thing I find really interesting about her is that she's actually been on like the wrong side of history in like both civil wars. Um, and people like uh, she's not exactly the the shining beacon of heroism uh, some people w- would imagine her to be. Um, so when you you looking at all of that, how do you decide which elements of those to put um, in the movie? Uh, you know, it, it's the same process I think we go through with all of our or- movies, especially our origin movies. Um, 
where we look at what storylines make our characters bounce off each other in the most interesting way, what brings out the traits that we want, that we want the audience to see in these characters, and what, what makes us respond to those characters, and how do we get that across to the audience. Um, and that always ends up being a, a mix of a lot of different stuff. Um, I think we wanted to make Carol really inspirational, and not inspirational because she was perfect, but inspirational because she was flawed. Um, and there's a lot of great stuff to draw from, both in Kelly Sue's run and elsewhere in the comics from that. Certainly some, some elements of her story needed an update for a modern audience, which they frequently do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm hoping that the audience will be along for the ride for that and excited with what we did with these characters. And just real quick follow up on that. Uh, will, will we in any way see you address like Miss Marvel, not the Kamala Khan, but the how Carol used to be Miss Marvel? No. <laughs> no, no bathing suit costume. That's like the Cree training costume or something. Uh, sorry. No. <laughs> sorry. No. Since this deals a little bit with cosmic side of things, and we know James Gunn is kind of, kind of overseeing that in a way. Is he at all involved in this? Uh, you know, I think he, I think he's read the script. Uh, you know, we've talked to him about it a little bit. Um, it takes place before a lot of what he's doing happens. So I'm, you know, I'm sure the scrolls be a fun toy to play with at some point. Um, but I think we've really been able to. to do our own thing. Um, but we love it when James gives, him, gives input, for sure. Can you talk a little bit about Anna and Ryan? Just because it feels like director style comes through more and more with every movie I see. So what do they bring to this one? Um, all of these movies start from a place of looking at the character, finding out what makes them cool, and bringing that to the screen. And what's great about Anna and Ryan's movies is they're so character-focused. Um, they become these amazing character pieces. Uh, and they had a take on Carol and a take on the movie that brought all that to light in a great way. Um, and so now they're really seeking their teeth, not just into the performances and not just into the character, but into the previs and the action and everything else that goes into making one of these movies. Um, and they have amazing character instincts, amazing uh, skills at getting performances out of actors, and, and really incredible action instincts and commercial instincts. So they're, they're kind of bringing it all to the table, and we're, we're lucky to have them. This is obviously going to be the first... Um female-led Marvel movie is that was it was there something about Carol that made her the character that kind of was going to take on that mantle and be this kind of reinvention of not just the MCU but also the like first female Marvel superhero with a solo movie sure I, I think <laughs> if you're going to put that on anybody's shoulders Carol's are yeah. the strongest um she was always a character that excited us from the comic books um in all of the mythology and all the characters we have to draw from she always kept rising to the top um, her powers are super cool her story is super cool the world she gets to take part in is super cool and that, that's sort of all what goes into the calculus of who's the next movie going to be are you going to be using any of that sort of de-aging CG technology that we've seen in other Marvel movies for, for Sam or Clark or anybody else in the cast we will um, we'll, we'll be de-aging Sam a little bit we'll be de-aging Clark a little bit um, thankfully they, both Clark and Sam look amazing um, <laughs> Which is, a, which is a big help for us. But yeah, there will be a little bit of that. It's, a, it's certainly more shots than we've had to do in other movies. You know, we, we've DH Robert, who looks amazing, and, and Kurt, who also looks amazing. We've been very lucky with the actors who have gone through this process. Um, but this will, be, this will be significantly more movie than we've ever done before, which is a fun challenge to have. Um, but I don't think we could ever ask someone to step into Sam Jackson's shoes, so I'm glad we're doing it. <laughs> is, um, you're introducing Maria in this film and her daughter Monica. So is that obviously going to be a setup for the future? I, I hope there's more story to tell with Monica. Certainly the, the movie leads it open for that stuff. I think one of the things that was really fun about the stories that came together and the Monica relationship and the Maria relationship with Carol 
um, was being able to kind of tell the story of female friendship and intergenerational female friendships. That's another part that really interests me is the fact that she's a mother and you don't really see that in superhero films. So is that like a conscious decision to make her a mother and make that part of the story? It was. I mean, it felt like a natural way into, into the Maria and Monica characters. Um, it felt like a great way to give Carol a fun relationship that we haven't seen before. Um, and it's not going to keep Monica from being along for the fun of this journey. Uh, can you talk about the character being played by Annette Bennett? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> can I pass on that one? Pass. There, there's a lot going on in the early 90s and the, the MCU with, like, uh, Claw stealing the, 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 um, the vibranium. There's mm-hmm. Howard Stark dying just, like, a month before that. Is any of that tied into this movie? It's all happening. It's all happening in the background. I, part of what we liked about the 90s, like I said, was kind of giving Carol her own turf. Um, there are a lot of setups and there are a lot of connections to, to other things happening in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, but I think what's most important is giving Carol space for her own adventure. Can you specifically say what year this takes place? Uh, I think we said... Actually, no. No, I can't. Okay. <laughs> is there a unique MCU spin on the scrolls as opposed to what we know from the comics with them? Uh, there's always a spin on it. There's always a take. Um, but I think what people know about the scrolls is they're not to be trusted. They can shapeshift in anybody, and that makes them super dangerous. Um, and those things, I think, you'll definitely find in the movie. I didn't see the chin. Like, are you going away from like the Thanos chin? Oh no, man, they got chins. So they got the Thanos. <laughs> yeah. Chin? I don't know if they got. Th- they've got their own chins. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, we've been hearing a lot about how Captain Marvel is like the most powerful hero in the MCU. What does that mean? Does that mean she can just beat? Thor and Hulk in a fight, or is there, is there more to it than that? And uh, can she beat Thor? I know and Hulk better than fight? to wait in the who can fight. Well, if you're saying she's the most powerful, like I, I'm, I'm interested to hear just an explanation of, of you know, what what do you mean when you guys say that? Um, I think what if uh, if you go back to the t- does it, is anyone recording this? <laughs> I think it was one of the most, if not the most. Um, but I, part of the fun certainly is that she is super powered and kind of able to use her powers on a scale we haven't seen before. Um, what that means for the movie, I think we'll, we'll wait and see. One of the things about the Marvel films, starting back with Iron Man, that makes them so enjoyable is that they do feel so grounded, even though they get so cosmic. And, um, can you talk a little bit about how this film, how we're going to ground it in relationships, or how it's going to feel grounded, even though it's very fantastical? Yeah, it's, it's a little misleading, because everything behind you is super fantastical. Yeah. And we didn't do a lot of concept art of all the practical locations we're shooting in. <laughs> but that's about half the movie. Um, part of the fun of shooting in Los Angeles is we get to go really places, real places, and really shoot there. Um, and that's also part of what Ryan and Anna bring to the movie, and part of their aesthetic is grounding this kind of crazy outer space adventure uh, in the reality of shooting in Los Angeles. Um, and I think that's going to result in a really interesting, really cool aesthetic that you haven't seen in a Marvel movie. Is that why you guys decided to shoot here, not in Atlanta, primarily? There's a few different reasons. One of it, one of them is not a lot of big movies shoot in LA anymore, so it weirdly feels like fresh territory for a movie like this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we really like the idea of shooting LA for LA, especially '90s LA for LA, which is so specific and cool. Um, and part of it is that our crews have been traveling to Atlanta and traveling the UK and traveling everywhere for a long time, and getting them home to see their families for a movie is, is not the worst thing in the world. <laughs> So um, there's a lot of parallels between Captain Marvel and Green Lantern with being, you know, in the Air Force and she's going to space to joint fight with aliens, wearing like a green costume, get superpowers. Do you guys discuss that at all of like, you know, maybe where they will zag or anything or maybe a cautionary tale? I'm, sh- I'm sure we discussed it at some point. 
I think the characters are different enough and where they come from are different enough that, that it wasn't a huge thing. Certainly what we want to do with this movie is, and with every movie is show, show the audience something they haven't seen before. Um, and I think that means making it unique from Green Lantern and unique from the other Marvel movies. How do you make Captain Marvel uh, very powerful but not overpowerful for this, for this cinematic universe? Because it's you know, not just this film, but everything. Uh, yeah, very good question. Um, I don't know if I know the answer to that yet. I think okay. part of, you know, I can't really speak to the movies going forward. Part of the pleasure of this movie is going to be, see, is be seeing Captain Marvel kick a lot of ass. Yeah. Um, if we're lucky enough to, to be able to see more of her going forward, uh, then I think we'll, uh, we'll think about how to give her challenges that, that resonate with the audience still. Certainly, I don't think heading into other movies that you may see her in, you're going to be worried about her feeling overpowered. We saw a shot. <laughs> we'll say we shot, saw a shot in the first reel of her with Cap. I can assume that's not in this movie. That's not in this movie. Okay. <laughs> uh, could you describe Captain Marvel's relationship with uh, Marvel and Jude Law's character? Uh, the relationship with Jude Law's character—it's a really—it's a really mentor-mentee thing. He's kind of the leader of her squad on uh, on Hala, um, and teaches her in the ways of being a Kree warrior. Uh, and so over the course of their adventure when she gets captured by the scrolls they get separated he spends a lot of the movie trying to find her and trying to get her back um, and rescue her from the scrolls um, and it's a, it's, a, it's a tender relationship but it's, it's you know it's very much uh, mentor protege um, and I think Carol still has a lot of the, the elements that made her human in her um, which, which Jude Law's character both uh, appreciates uh, and is irritated by. <laughs> Do they have that kind of long history together? Like, was he is he part of that origin story? Uh, is he part of that origin story? I'm gonna pass a Rue. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Keep asking those questions. Did Rue actually go up in the fighter jets? She totally did. She totally kicked ass. I would never do it in a million years. Um, it looked so dangerous. <laughs> uh, yeah, she really went up there. Uh, as did Lashana. As did uh, did Anna Bowden, our, our director. Um, uh, I got nervous and nauseous just like sitting through the briefings where they tell you what's going to happen up there. Um, but she she went up. They gave her a call sign. She went through the whole bit. Um, this is Marvel's first uh, you know modern female led movie. Did you guys look at Wonder Woman at all and take any lessons from that or any inspirations? Um, I th- you know I th- what was so great about Wonder Woman was talking to female audience members afterwards about how they felt watching that movie. Um, and a lot of the people I talked to just said, I've never felt like that watching a movie before in my entire life. That character resonated with me in ways I, I didn't even know a character could resonate, resonate, with, resonate with me as. Uh, <laughs> well, correct. They said it better than that. Um, and which, was, which was great to hear um, and, and kind of an amazing thing to uh, kind of... It, I think it helped us understand how important movies like this are. Um, so in terms of making the movie feel distinct, it's, I think all these movies chart their own courses anyway, and sort of, it's just like Green Lantern, we don't want to make a movie that, that people have seen before, um, but I think that means making the movie feel distinct, uh, not just from other female-led movies, but from, from all the other Marvel movies as well, which is something we try to do on every movie. So it wasn't a new challenge necessarily, but it was uh, one I think we were extra excited for um, because of the nature of what this movie means to people. Was there any challenge in the fact that this is a, a prequel, essentially, to the rest of the MCU, uh, knowing that 
uh, you know, Carol is still going to be alive after Infinity War. Do we, is there anything there you guys worried about, you know, thematically or dramatically? Uh, no. I mean... Sorry, can you... <laughs> no, just, can you just that the, movie's, the movie's a prequel and we have yeah. 20 movies to take place after this. I was wondering, knowing that she's around and knowing that she's still alive at the end of this... Uh, not this movie, but... Uh, how do you give her stakes? Yeah, how do you give it stakes? And I mean, I think the, the audience knows enough by now that we're probably not going to, to kill off an origin character in an origin movie. So I don't think that's a huge leap um, to, to, that she's going to be alive at the end of the movie. Um, and a lot of the stakes in the movie aren't centered on Carol necessarily. Okay. Um, you know, I think the way to approach movies like this isn't necessarily who's going to live, who's going to die. Um, but what do you want the audience to get out of it? What's the journey you want them to go on? Can you get them invested in this character? Um, and I think hopefully the, the answer to those questions is yes. All the films in the MCU have that kind of unique MCU feel. But then we have like Guardians, Thor Ragnarok, and very, very funny, more emphasis on humor than action, or, well, not action, but more emphasis on humor than seriousness. Then you have Civil War and um, Winter Soldier that were just really heavy, very dramatic, with just a sprinkle of humor. So where does Captain Marvel, we're going to be more related to? Uh, it's kind of somewhere in between. Um, okay. You know, Carol in the comics is a really funny character in her own way, in a way that doesn't feel like Doctor Strange, in a way that doesn't feel like uh, Iron Man, like Robert Downey Jr., that, that gets to be her unique voice, and I think that's the voice we tried to get across, which isn't Joke a Minute, Rock a Raccoon, Guardians of the Galaxy, which is super funny, and isn't super grounded, kind of heavy, um, as some of our other movies have been. Um, I think it inhabits a place a lot like Doctor Strange that, that takes the movie and the stakes of the movie pretty seriously, but allows the characters to have fun within it. I uh, don't necessarily expect like huge details, but to kind of get back to the stakes question, uh, like what are kind of the stakes? Are we talking about like the decimation of the entire universe? Are we talking about mostly personal stakes? Like kind of what are they protecting? Well, like all Marvel movies, it's a mix of both. Mm-hmm. I think I think we'll we'll be rooting along the course of this movie for Carol to reconnect with her humanity, and that really is the stakes of the movie. What is Overworld? What's Overworld? Well, it's the title, of the, the working title of this production. But oh, Open World. Or Open World, sorry. Uh, uh, <laughs> I, what is Open World? What is Open World? <laughs> yeah, what is open world? Um, it doesn't really, I'm sorry. It doesn't mean much. Like, uh, very early on in these processes, we have to pick those titles. Um, and at the time, we were still in very early days developing the movie. So it was sort of like, it was sort of like an open world video game in a lot of ways. Like, <laughs> like it was a movie where you, it, that could be a lot of different things. Um, oh. What's that? I'm oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Um, as far as like the space battles and things, are we looking for like, is it going to be something more like darker, like a Rogue One? Like, are we, we going to see like a war? Or is it going to be more of like operatic, big space, you know, kind of shiny and clean with the explosions instead of like down and dirty? Um, I'm not quite sure how to answer that yet. I. Th- it's going to be PG-13 for whatever that's yeah, worth. I, mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I, th- you know, I think the hope is to, to show the stakes of Galactic War, and, and uh, but not in a way that's going to detract from the fun of the movie. Mm-hmm. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think it's best I can do right now. Were there qualities that you guys immediately recognized in Bree's performance and interpretation of the character that 
affected the way you went in the film and the way that like there's degrees of separation between Tony Stark and Robert Downey Jr. You know, he owns that character. Is there? Did you find that with Brie too? Is there ways that that she influenced the way the movie unfolds? With all of these movies, the, the voice of the actor can't help but come through. Um, and with Ryan and Anna's help and sort of the, and, and kind of guided by the script I think they've found a version of Carol that's really cool that's not exactly Carol from the comic books and not even exactly the Carol that you read when you read the, the script page um, that becomes kind of their own unique creation that, that's really cool and really interesting and Bree certainly has done everything she possibly can to make the character feel as real as possible I think she spent more time at the stunt gym training for fights than any actor I've ever worked with, which has been amazing to watch. She's gone up in fighter jets. She's hung out with the Thunderbirds. Um, she, she's going to do a lot of her own stunt, stunts in this movie and a lot of her own fighting, which you saw a little of that behind-the-scenes reel. Um, not, a lot, not a ton of actors would be doing those wire gags would be doing that stuff for real. I did that stuff earlier today because um, I randomly stopped by the stunt gym and it takes a lot out of you man it's really hard <laughs> I do recommend it if you get the chance stop by stage 8 they'll put you up on wires uh, it's super fun but it's, it's not easy I was, I was pulling this out to show you guys a video but maybe another time <laughs> is there anything you can tell us about any of the specific weaponry in here? Uh, yeah I mean you know Star Force like any uh, awesome outer space fighting force has their own kind of unique <laughs> skills and weapons um, you know Korath has his awesome swords. Bronchar is kind of a bigger, stronger guy who fights with his fists. Atlas is, is more of a marksman and has those two pistols. Uh, Minerva is the sniper of the group who kind of gets to be a little bit of a remove. Um, and Yon Rock, uh, 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 there's sort of their own other powers and the sprinkle throughout. Sorry, did I talk about German swords? Yes. Okay, good. Um, for Carol, uh, could you like, talk about her personality a little bit? Like, where does she get her morality from? What's her motivation in the movie? Uh, what's her baggage? You know, what's her flaw? Um, I mean, a lot of the movie is about Carol not remembering her human past. When we meet her at the beginning of the movie, she believes that she is a Kree um, and, and kind of has been uh, uh, inducted into their army. She's makes a powerful person. She loves being a Kree. Um, and then over the course of her adventure, realizes there's more to her story than that. Um, so the movie kind of becomes her unraveling the root of her own origin and the root of her own mystery. She believes she's a Kree, you said? Mm-hmm. Like she's, it's almost like a brainwashing type thing? Like, well, it's from the early Ms. Marvel comics. Mm. Okay, did, but yeah. is that, like, she, okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying it's not, but I'm just saying that she's, like, under the belief that that's how we meet her. Yes, when, when we meet her, she believes she is a Kree on Hala. Uh, like Top Gun, they shot a lot of the, the air, like, the air sequences actually in the air. Like, are you trying to go more for something like that? Because this is a 90s action or is a lot of it going to be like CG and on stage with green screen? We went to Edwards and we, we shot some practical stuff um, for our air-to-air sequences. Um, a lot of that will end up being CG just by the nature of the beast. Um, but to the extent that we could shoot practically, we did. And, and I, even the stuff you shoot practically informs the visual effects of it all so much that it, it's immensely helpful. And the Air Force has been amazing about it. Uh, granted, because their assets and their hangars and their airplanes to use, it's been uh, an incredible experience. Where else have you guys shot in LA? Or where will you? Um, let's see, we shot on that one rando strip mall that you guys saw in the paparazzi photos. Um, <laughs> we, uh, we're heading up to Simi Valley soon to shoot an aquarium up there. Um, we uh, shot at this other rando strip mall in the valley, which is where that blockbuster video got built. Um, we uh, shot up at Shaver Lake, which is outside Fresno. Um, and at Edwards Air Force Base, which was a couple hours away. Um, we shot in the Lucerne Valley for some of that, some of that desert look. It's been, it's been a lot in L.A. and then a lot around L.A. Uh, 
in the clip we saw uh, Carol at one point, she had on like a, her suit with a black strip on her chest. Is that for CG for a symbol? She with a black strip on her chest. Oh, I think that's just her in like, you know, the chest plate comes on separately as a piece of the costume. So okay. she sits down and do, does interviews. Yeah. It's not the most comfortable yeah. thing in the world to sit down and so that just comes off. Okay. Did you mention we'd be seeing Jan Rog in this one at all? Uh, Jan Rog does pop up. Yeah. Okay. He's a, an important part of the mythology. Like you said, her powers, when you said that they're, like, she's the most powerful. So we'll see, like, the, I, I'm trying to think of, like, the most, like, cinematic thing that we've seen in the universe is probably like, <clears throat> Thor, as far as, like, showing off, like, the blast of all the aliens and the Avengers. Are we going to see things that are, like, bigger than that? Like, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Can we expect uh, spaceship battles? Yes. <laughs> any, any other requests? <laughs> we, we got like 25 shooting days left. Time travel. Time travel, okay. <laughs> well, particularly the character that's that powerful is also keeping her vulnerable. Is there, did you have to put a lot of thought into figuring out how to keep her, you know, keep those, those kinds of stakes with her? Uh, we did, um, and she, I, I wouldn't say she's that powerful for the entire movie, and a lot of the movie is kind of about her understanding her true power. Um, so, so it kind of becomes an issue for, for more the end of the movie and more going forward than it does for this movie. You said that uh, Nick Fury um, is kind of going through a slow period in his career, um, and then he comes across Captain Marvel. Like, what, are you able to say what his reaction is? Does he see her as a threat? Uh, I think he reacts very much as any of us would. First, seeing a person in a, a teal green Star Force outfit tell you, who, uh, say, I'm an alien from another planet, and there's scrolls infiltrating your world. Okay. <laughs> um, but very quickly, he, uh, he encounters the scrolls on his own and sort of realizes that he's wrapped up in something much bigger than he could have ever imagined. Can you say how um, Carol and uh, Nick Fury's Uh, I think it benefits and, and, and in its uniqueness by, by having Carol be the first superhero he's ever really encountered or heard of in his life. Um, she sort of gets to be the window for, to him for, the, for this entire bigger universe. Um, so he's a little, a little less uh, of the I know everything there is to know Nick Fury that we've seen in the later movies and a little bit more uh, perhaps open to new ideas. Is this where we learn where what happened was I? Pass. <laughs> uh, how does it seems like there's some big uh, climactic stuff happening in this movie? How does nobody in Earth and Iron Man, the events of Iron Man or Battle of New York, know, like know about what has happened? You know, the big stuff that's happening. In this movie? I mean, you know, I could answer that, but then we have to get into what all the big stuff. Is. <laughs> I don't know. It feels like that feels like a wait and see. Okay. Sorry. Then you guys have asked about the cat. I'm really surprised. I was just about to ask yeah. about the cat. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's too late. It's too late. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about the cat. Uh, there's an awesome cat in this movie named Goose. Um, it's <laughs> kind of a take on... Yeah. It's, it is a Top Gun reference. Kind of a take on True from the comics. Goose is played by a team of four cats who all have their own specialty. There's Reggie, there's Archie, there's Rizzo, and there's Gonzo. Um, they're an A-team of cats who can all do one trick because you can't teach cats to do that. I learned all about cats <laughs> shooting cats over the course of this movie. So one of them is like the face cat who's the pretty cat. That's Archie. 
Uh, no, sorry, that's Reggie. Uh, one of them's the holding cat who you hold and can be held. One of them's like the nuzzling cat who will walk up to your leg and nuzzle it. And one of them's like the cat who will paw you, who's a jerk. I think that's, <laughs> I think that's Rizzo. I own all those cats. <laughs> um, if you told me before this movie started that I would be auditioning cats uh, to, to play the role of Goose, I would not have believed you. Were there any more Top Gun references, or does it matter? Uh, there's probably one or two other ones sprinkled in there. Ones that I only register self-consciously, subconsciously now. Was there a cat in a costume? <laughs> <laughs> oh, the, the mask? Yeah. Maybe, that'd be cool. <laughs> Can you do a cat on our screen? Oh man, I'd love to. <laughs> people are gonna, people are gonna love everything. goose. <laughs> uh, it it just felt like one of those things from the comics that we couldn't not do. On the comics in this last page over here, there's a big tentacle monster. Is that mm-hmm. something that's gonna? We're going to see something from You know, that's a version of the Supreme Intelligence, and, and you know, the Supreme Intelligence is, is part of the movie. Oh, over here? Oh, sorry, that's no, a monster. That, yeah, that, yeah. Uh, sort of like, we sort of like, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what can you say about Ronin's role in the movie? Um, just like it's an, early, an earlier version of Nick Fury, it's kind of an earlier version of Ronan, who has not become the, the radical zealot that we saw in, the, in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1. Um, so he has his own station in the in Kree society on Hala, and his own role to play in the Kree military that intersects with, uh, with Star Force in, in an interesting way. Will we be, you know, will there be sort of a, like, we'll leave him in a place that we'll, we'll kind of see how he gets to where we see him next? <laughs> that big enough? Uh, yeah, a little bit, yeah. I mean, I think the, the, the seed, just like there's a Nick Fury origin story buried in this movie, buried a little bit deeper is the Ronan origin story. So there you have it. Interview with Jonathan Schwartz. Uh, today on SlashFilm.com, you can find all of our coverage from the Captain Marvel set visit. That includes all the interviews you heard today here, but also interviews you didn't hear here, including directors Ryan Fleck and Anna Bowden uh, talking about the film, Jude Law, who plays uh, Captain Marvel's mentor, and uh, some other cast members as well. So I would recommend going to SlashFilm.com checking that out. As always, you can find more of my work on SlashFilm.com and at SlashFilm on all social media. You can find this podcast published every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, all the popular podcast apps. Please send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to Peter at SlashFilm.com. And go to our iTunes page, write us a five-star review, tell your friends, spread the word. We'll see you tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, you know. If they step off, you know, then, then that's good. Then it's done. But they don't seem to want to step off. And so we'd be scrolling. You know?